Slenderman, Slenderman, all the children try to run. Slenderman, Slenderman, to him it's part of the fun. Slenderman, Slenderman, dressed in dark, his suit and tie. Slenderman, Slenderman, you most certainly will die. Song by Zip Zipper, Reddit. Fallon Vice contains graphic and or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Violent Vice, episode 51. My name is Audie Griffith. And I'm John John. Hello. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, give us a review, hit that subscribe button. We'd really, really appreciate it. And as you guys kind of know from last week's bonus episode, this week we are covering Slender Man. Woohoo. I mean... We kind of, I'm creeped out by this guy. Yeah, he's a pretty creepy fella, and a lot of nor- notoriety kind of gained after a criminal case that took part in our neck of the woods. Yeah, and just like it came out, and it was co- sort of like when just like every, like that year or two, or just people dressed up in clown costumes and carried weird stuff that were like weapons and just walked around. That was a little bit after the Slenderman phase. It was phase, after, but... but it was just like... Yeah. Around that time where stuff like that just kept showing up. Yeah. Our high school and early college years, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like... I don't know if everybody knows what those these morph suits things are, or it's basically just like a full-body elastic suit that is like usually just a singular color. Yeah. A lot of it's like green or something like that. I'm pretty sure that this was just like some guy who had like a Reddit account or something had like a sibling. They just got a full white one and thought it was creepy. And then they put on a jacket and suddenly he had like, this is the scariest thing I can ever think of. Let's make it a monster. So we'll actually kind of get into it. It started with like a Photoshop contest and then it kind of spiraled from there. But we'll kind of get into his backstory and some other possible origins of like the creepypastas and tales of Slenderman too. Okay, well that was my prediction. So we already know I was wrong. <laughs> it's all right. It was, I mean, kind of close Photoshop and having your brother dress up as something scary. I mean... I feel like we kind of did that in Dad's Photoshop classes at one point, so... I mean, Photoshop class was always fun. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but... Yeah. eh, you know. It's fun stuff. Yeah. So, anywho, do you want to just hop right into it? We'll kind of do the background and everything on Slenderman. This will be a two-parter, too, at least, Mm -hmm. if not three. Are you going to go over, like, the description of this thing, or should we make that clear right at the top? That is right what I'm going to dive into right about now. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, what does he look like? Slenderman's described as a male in appearance with long, slender legs, but also appears to have about four to eight black tentacles that protrude from his back. 
different photographs of Slenderman enthusiasts dispute whether or not Slenderman has tentacles or they are branches. Thus, reigning the theory is that either he can retract his tentacles or branches, like cat claws. So, like, he can just appear as a man or he can appear as a tentacly man, man tentacle-like man. You know, specifically, man in a suit. We'll get to it. We're okay. getting there. Um, physical appearances first and then how he dresses. So he appears to be very thin and he's able to stretch his limbs and perhaps tentacles to scare slash ensnare his victims. Once his arms are outstretched, it is said that the victim becomes hypnotized and can't help themselves from walking into his arms. So he has some like mind control capabilities. Or just like drawing on like the mesmerizing nature of just impossible happening in front of a person. Yeah, it kind of like we'll 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 get into into kind of what his powers are to a little bit down the road here. Oh, okay. Yeah. In terms of posture, he often keeps his long pale hands crossed politely behind his back or hanging loosely at his sides. So like if you were to see him off in the distance, he may just have his hands crossed or hands at his sides. Very he, formal. Very formal. He is kind of very formal. He is also able to release tendrils slash uh, tentacles from his fingers, too. So instead of coming from his back purely, they can come out of his hands as well. So I, Or possibly both? Possibly both, yes. Possibly both. So now we're getting into what he wears. He wears a suit similar to the men in back black suits so like think very kind of rigid just pure mm-hmm. black uh white shirt and a bow tie or, or, or white or a necktie that's completely black mm-hmm. and it's like a, a formal two-piece stu- suit i don't think like you can see a vest or anything because he's super thin yep just a formal two-piece suit think like jack skellington from nightmare before christmas yes but more Businessy, Yes. But... No, no crazy collar thing going on. No crazy collar. Uh, but he can also have pinstripes in his suit sometimes. Depends on the picture. So, I have seen some drawings where it's been either full black or has like a slightly less dark black pinstripe type thing. Yep. And he's sometimes portrayed as wearing a hat similar to a fedora or a bowler hat. Sometimes it's portrayed as a top hat as well. Basically, you know, a black cap, and then he has the that long flowing neck underneath. Mm-hmm. Though picturing him with a hat makes it a little goofy to me. It does, but to blend in a bit, like, I, I can see it. Yeah, but, like, I don't know, just my picture of what he looks like, and then I put a top hat on it, and I'm just like... So cute. Funny. So it it kind of does also uh, portray timelines, too, when he has those hats as well. Mm. And some pictures also portray him with his coattails flying in the wind. So those are like the long tails on the bottom of a suit. Mm-hmm. Or if you anybody remembers Looney Tunes, it's essentially the piano player's weird tail thing that they flick back before they sit down. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, I think they do that in Tom and Jerry, too. 
kids these days aren't going to know what that is, though. I know. It's so sad. It is sad, but also understandable. And then he wears black, shiny dress shoes. Uh, I want to say Oxford's not brogues. I was just going to say any of the movies from the Kingsman. Or Kingsman. Yeah. But, yeah, you know. I don't, I don't really know what the difference is, to be honest. I don't remember what it is. So I think Oxfords were the just normal shoe without any of the punch-outs or detailing, where Brogues had those punch-outs and, like, kind of lacy pattern to them. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm probably not going to remember that. Sorry. No, no, it's all right. But Oxfords, not Brogues. <laughs> So, kind of going on besides his coattails and shoes, his face is pale and slightly ghostly, seeming, sometimes seeming to be wrapped in gauze. His facial features are kind of up for debate, and that's a source of disagreement amongst Slenderman enthusiasts. So, people kind of change how and what he looks like. Would you say that there's one that's most common or is that kind of more like a regional assumption oh so it's just kind of believe that he looks different to each person that sees it mm-hmm. um basically if you think of just a pale face that doesn't have any distinguishable features that's kind of what he looks like so like um i'm trying to think of a good way. So in Pirates of the Caribbean, you know when the Kraken sucks off that one person's face. Yeah, well, there's nothing on his face. Not like undiscernible features. It's just there aren't features. That's kind of how he looks in a lot of pictures. Is just not really any features. Like he has kind of indents where his eyes should be, and a little indent where his nose is. But that's about it. And it's mm-hmm. all just pale white. It's kind of like if somebody. Like, if the face was completely white and how the face is just shaped underneath, like, a robber wearing a stocking as, like, a thing to cover their face, but then they just painted it all white and you couldn't see through it anymore. Yeah, so, just like... It's kind of, like, really flattened and just... You can't see anything aside from just a shape. Yeah, kind of like how I said above how sometimes he's portrayed as, like, his face is wrapped in white gauze. So, not really Mm. distinguishable. Mm. To a person, he appears to either float or drift as opposed to walk. It makes him look ethereal as opposed to a human. This also explains why he's able to be mobile and despite, like, his disproportioned body. So, he's able to kind of apparate and appear and move fairly quickly. So, like, kind of like... This is kind of a weird tangent stretch where it's just like he is both familiar and completely and completely otherworldly at the same time where it's both familiar and foreign mished like just mushed together yeah so his he looks like a man but his body is so disproportioned like extremely long legs and disjointed arms and everything that he's just very um not of this world but he looks familiar kind of like if jim henson redesigned humans in the 80s things are just 
like you can recognize it was supposed to be a human at some point. I'm not sure. But it's just like who that is. Jim Henson. Yeah. The guy that made the Dark Crystal and the Muppets. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Think more of Tim Burton, like. Well, I don't know. A Dark Crystal, I feel like, is a little more disfigured than Tim Burton does. His is just a weird aesthetic. But. Color palettes, right? Also disjointed, like, long, elongated humans. Think of, like, Corpse Bride and uh, Jack Skellington. Like, those are very similar to Slender Man. Okay. So, kind of going on from what he looks like to what he does, it's rumored that he kills children almost exclusively. It's difficult to say whether or not his objective is only the slaughter of children. It's reported or recorded that he can be in certain sections of woods, typically like suburban area woods. It's also been reported that he's been seen in large groups of children, as many photographers portray or uh, photoshoppers <laughs> portray. He seems pretty unconcerned to be in the daylight. He enjoys stalking people who are overly paranoid about his existence and may purposely provide them glimpses of his face just to frighten him and kind of torture them. So, you know, terrified boogeyman type person. Yeah. So I'll get into this a little bit later, but the... 2018 movie that's available on Prime kind of goes into it, like how he either captures, kills, or seriously messes up people that see him. But again, we'll get into that a little bit later. It's just like, it's a little different than most Boogeyman stuff at the same time. Like, yes, it still eats a bunch of children and destroys them, hurts them, and not grown-ups, but also... Like in the story last week, they aren't exactly little kid children. She still could be teenagers. Yeah, like preteens and teenagers are kind of mm-hmm. mostly his targets. Just like not over 18-ish maybe is the cutoff. Not adults, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Slender Man is a supernatural figure that people claim to have been in existence for centuries. And... His kind of territory covers a very large geographical area spanning across not only the United States, but other countries as well. People who believe in Slender Man have tied his existence to mythologies across different cultures. That being said, he is largely a creation of the internet. So kind of like John and I mentioned earlier, 2009, 2010, like our High school years is kind of when he came out, and we'll kind of get into it. So, he started as a meme in June of 2009 when a competition on the comedy web forum Something Awful asked for ideas for modern myths which to terrify people with. One contributor, Eric Knutson, using the pseudonym Victor Surge, responded by posting two faked photographs supposedly from the mid-1980s showing a tall, sinister figure lurking behind groups of children. Knutson attached some vague text suggesting 14 young people and the photographer had gone missing after these photos were taken. Knutson was inspired to create the Slenderman primarily by Zach Parsons, that insidious beast, Stephen King's The Mist, 
reports of shadow people, Mothman, and the mad Gassar of Mattoon. Other inspirations for the character were the tall man from the 1979 film Phantasm, H.P. Lovecraft, the surrealist work of William S. Burroughs, and the survival horror, horror video game Silent Hill and Resident Evil. So he kind of made it from all of those places. Hmm. I'm trying, like, I, I remember a specific creature from H.P. Lovecraft because we did an episode on him. Yeah. Uh, I want to say it was, like, Night Gaunts or something, whereas, like, those are just the reoccurring creatures in his childhood night terrors because, like, the faceless thing. I think that's one thing that was super similar, and I thought about that last episode we did about the Slenderman's stuff showing up yeah so we kind of got into that also with the sleep paralysis episode with the hat man and the um the long slender the shadow people too yeah so it's i think it's just the faceless yet human thing i feel like that might be one of like the many things that's like an innate like primal fear type thing people have yeah like because i mean not every like a lot of people are afraid of snakes and spiders and stuff, but that's like a primal fear that comes from them having venom. But it's like it's one of those ones where it doesn't make sense why something like this is frightening to us because it shouldn't have occurred anywhere in nature for us to evolve this fear. So it's like part of maybe the supernatural things are real and we have seen them before and stuff like that. So. So. That's kind of funny that you say that. Um, so, Knetson's intention was to formulate something whose motivations can kind of barely be comprehended, which caused unease and terror to this generation population, but using images and whatnot that we were already predisposed to. So, it's you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Where it's just like, it's, it's hitting the primal fear nerve in most people, but also being something unknown oh boy so besides this post this kind of took the media by storm and eventually thousands of people were making drawings and writing stories about the slender man one academic had described the development as an open sourcing of storytelling so kind of a conglomerate of storytellers across the internet Mm-hmm. I think it's what they skyrocketed the essentially free writing thing that developed of the creepy pasta website type thing where it's just like people were making scary stories now because they saw this and were inspired to make their own and stuff. So I feel like you're reading the bullet point right ahead of me because you were hitting every nail on the head. The- well, it, I lived <laughs> through this, right? You did. You did. Okay. You- I mean, and I'm I am a purveyor of the Webernets. You so are. I I am aware of these trends, and if there was like a internet historian position, I and they did museums and stuff, I could do tour guide stuff. I don't know about anything more than that, though. Yeah, and I know we also, like, frequented creepypasta because we would try to scare each other growing up and well, we scare those, Gabby like, and all yeah, those. Yeah, like, the scary stories to tell of the dark. We always got those books when they came out and stuff like that. Yeah. So we would, because just we were bored at the cabin sometimes when it was raining and we wanted to just tell each other those things. So that was fun. 
But yeah. Yeah. It's like Creepypasta wasn't around until after Slender Man made it big. Yeah, so we'll kind of, well, I'll just read here the next bullet point, but you kind of pretty much summed it up here that after the Slender Man went viral, spawning numerous fans, uh, fans of artwork, cosplay, and online fiction known as Creepypasta, horror stories told in snatches of easily copyable text and spread on site to site. Divorced from its original creator, the Slender Man became the subject of a myriad of stories by multiple authors within the overarching mythos. So, basically, creepypasta was kind of known as a term. Now it's a website where everything's held, but it was known as a t- term for these stories that would jump from website to website. Now, I think I remember, like, the reasoning behind stuff being called pasta, and I'm a little embarrassed that I might have, might know what this is. But essentially, on, like, these online forums and chat room and stuff, like, if you posted something and it was just a picture, people would ask for the source of it so they can look more into it. But, well, source got changed into sauce. So it's essentially, what is it? Where is it from? It's just, like, what's the sauce on this? So the content became the pasta for the sauce. So the creepy pasta was the creepy thing, and the sauce was the website. Nice. That's I awesome. Think that's, I think that's where that like evolved from, but I'm not certain, and that's how I gathered that there's the thing sauce and pasta, but most people don't use the pasta thing anymore, but I think a lot of people still use sauce. Gotcha. I don't know. Our terminology stuff. for the early days. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So many aspects of the Slender Man mythos first appeared on the original Something Awful thread. One of the earliest additions was added by a forum user named Thoru Up, who created the folklore so- story set in 16th century Germany involving a character called D. Groben, which was implied to be the early reference to Slender Man. The first video series involving Slenderman evolved from a post on Something Awful thread as well by user Cigars. It tells of a fictional film school friend named Alex Crayley who stumbled upon something troubling while shooting her first feature-length project, Marble Hornets. The video series, published in found footage style on YouTube, forms an alternate reality game describing the filmer's fictional experience with Slenderman. The ARG also incorporates a Twitter feed and an alternate YouTube channel created by the user Thor Ark, as of 2013, Marble Hornets had over 250,000 subscribers around the world and had received 55 million views. Other Slenderman-themed YouTube series followed, including Everyman Hybrid and Tribe 12. So these were kind of like the big videos that took off featuring Slenderman. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, they were known to be fictional or, put like, posed as possible sightings. So... You know? The first one was posed as possible sightings. So, like, think of Blair Witch Project vibes. That's how that video looked. Okay. So, like, the people died, but it was found videotapes and then posted to YouTube. Ah, where it's just, like, you weren't supposed to see this or this wasn't supposed to make it, but here it is. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, everyone our day was filming everything and making weird home videos, and that was just kind of how it was. 
Yeah, I think Cloverfield had just came out, and that was like supposed to be the next thing after Blair Witch that was based off of that, and just like, wow, let's make it a Slender Man one instead. Yeah. So, in 2012, the Slender Man was adapted into a video game titled Slender the Eight Pages. Within its first month of release, the game was downloaded over 2 million times. Several popular variants of the game followed, including Slender Man Shadow, the Slender Man for iOS, which became the second most popular app downloaded, and the sequel to Slender, the eight pages Slender the Arrival, which was released in 2013. Mm. Now, I'm aware of these games... Because I do think there's, like, a lot of, like, those Let's Play YouTubers. I think all of them had done this. Which is just, like, if you remember, like, one of the most followed subscriber-type YouTube creators. His name was PewDiePie. Oh, yeah. He did the... He did that. I think he did just Slender the Arrival. I don't think he did the eight pages. Uh, A couple other gamer... People did the first one. I don't think they did any of the iOS stuff. And then Slender the Arrival. And there seems to be like a quarter, maybe a little bit less of all like new computer horror games seem to be very much based or similar to that game. Because it was just, it was scary. Yeah. Speaking about scary games, have you ever played Doki Doki Literature Club? I haven't played it. But I know what happens. Have you seen PewDiePie play it? I haven't seen him play it. So that was that. That's where I first found it. They they're apparently making a sequel game that was supposed to come out like oh. last year or two years ago, but I never oh. knew when it came out. I watched the Game Grumps play that, and that was really funny because neither of them really knew what was going to happen. They just knew something was going to happen. Yeah. They didn't know what it was, and oh boy. If you play the multiple endings, it gets more and more messed up, too. Like in like a replay type situation, or a load past save type stuff? Like it knows you played before, and it just gets progressively oh, worse. Like that Undertale stuff. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. So several independent films about the Slender Man have been released and are in current development, including Entity, the Slender Man, released free online after a $10,000 Kickstarter campaign. Uh, This was one of the earlier films, so prior to 2013. And in 2013, it was announced that Marvel Hornets would also become a feature-length film. So we'll kind of get into it here in a minute, but I also want to talk about the 2018 released version of Slender Man. Mm-hmm. That's the recent one that I think was just like big movie studio made it and it wasn't independent. I don't think so, right? Correct. Like there's some bigger actors in there um, as well. So it, it was, yeah. but we'll get into it. So kind of before we do, are there any rules to using the Slender Man character? So fans of the character can hold strong views about what ways that it should be used and how the story is portrayed. There are kind of a few instances online where someone would try to take Slender Man and put him in a different direction than what's commonly occurred. One story came up of a military group trying to track him, but other users like shot down that idea and like was were way, way against it. 
it so there's kind of very strong feelings around the slender man community on how he's used and how stories are portrayed Mm, so like they were against him being like essentially a non well i don't know if this would be what it is but like they were against it being non-supernatural or just a physical creature and not some possible cosmic entity that attacks things. The fact that he was trackable was the issue. I think so, and that adults were dealing with it, because, again, he's mostly dealing with Those kids. Children, yeah. Yeah. So kind of any direction that it's taken that's different, it kind of gets shut down a lot. Well, I mean, I think once it gets old enough, then sort of that whole, like, stuff has to be so many years old before the copyright kind of isn't held anymore. Like, recently, Winnie the Pooh is no longer under copyright, so people are going nuts with that. Oh, yeah, I saw the horror movie that's about to come out with that. That looks messed up. Yeah, yeah. So it might be just that it was so new so that the original idea was just that's what it's going to be. Don't alter it yet. It's, we still don't have it completely solidified. If you mess with it, then it's going to be too garbled and won't be a thing anymore. That might be where most of that motivation comes from. Maybe not consciously, but maybe collectively. Yeah. I don't know. Could be. So, I do, I do have to say, like, he isn't copyrighted, at least not currently. Um, but I, if you do take stuff from the movies and everything, then you're dealing with movie copyrights and all that stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, but it started as just, everybody, here's my story. Do you like it? Cool, you like it. Yeah. Nice. And the fun thing about Slenderman 2 is, like, many stories are told as true like they happen to people or people that they know so it it has that element of truth behind it it adds to the scariness yeah because i mean if you hear like there was once upon a time a scary monster you're gonna be like okay this is all made up exactly and And there's no potential for this being true whatsoever but if even if it is known that it's a fiction, if you still tell it as like a story that is being told as being experienced by somebody, that kind of still taps into that. Yeah. So, again, this kind of took off like in early 2009, and then it regained attention in 2012 due to crimes that were committed in Wisconsin, which we'll get to at a later episode, because, of course, I can't miss a crime from mm-hmm. back home. Mm-mm. we got weird stuff in wisconsin yeah there was also an update on that last year too so we'll have a lot for that episode but again later to come oh boy stay tuned yeah but now on back to the movie that was released in 2018 again it's available for it on amazon prime it has some bigger names in it and it's about four friends who watch the slender man video and try to summon slender man at a sleepover, you know, just for shits and giggles, as one does when you're growing up in high school. Like, you do dumb crap. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically those Ouija board night sleepover stuff where it's just... 
Yeah. Well, let's summon the dead and talk to them. Ooh. Ooh. But yeah, or or you go into like abandoned houses and like try to scare each other, that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. yeah. So lots of those premises are pretty fun. You don't see that in many shows these days. No. You don't go up to the old whaling house no more. None of that stuff happens anymore. It's just Yeah. Yeah, I, that's private property. You'll go to jail. Yeah, like I didn't think about it growing up at the time and like I know our parents had more freedom than we did, but we also had a lot more freedom than kids nowadays. Oh so yeah. So it's it's just kind of funny to see that in real time for me as well. Mhm. Just the generational differences. Yeah, like, because we were still at the home before dark, and mm. when cell phones were out, like, hey, shoot me a text if you go someplace else, but mm. we had track phone minutes, like, you couldn't talk all day, so. No, it was very limited. Yeah, but anyways, back to the movie, so it's about four girls who try to summon Slender Man by watching this video that supposedly summons him. After one goes missing, they try to resummon him to get her back, and... It had so much potential. Like, the story had so much potential. It had decent actors. I was just really disappointed with the thrill and scare factor of this movie. I It was very underwhelmed. Like, it had so much potential to be good. So, like, the premise was perfect, but the delivery was underwhelming? That or the story, like, just stuff could have been changed to make it a whole lot scarier. So, kind of just going into the premise a little bit. The whole thing is that Slenderman's like a virus. Once you watch the video, he either captures you, kills you, or leaves you insane if you're a child. And then the scariest part for me was the ritual where they watch the video and hear the bells. So it's said that those who hear the three bells toll accept Slenderman's invitation. After the first bell, you have to close your eyes and be quiet, and you can only open your eyes after you hear the third bell. And of course, they open their eyes before that, and then that's how he gets there. But... Yeah, the whole, like, summoning him was, like, the most thrilling part because, like, you didn't know what was going to happen. But, I mean, you knew what was going to happen. It just was kind Mm. of a disappointment. Yeah. And was he scary at all? Or did they just make it more like they just couldn't get away and he was just there? He had the creep factor look to him. And everything, and the chase scenes were all right, but, like, between the music and then just the way, like, the blocking and the way that they did it, they could have made it a lot more scary. Mm. I think they probably leaned into more of a monster movie-type horror than, like, a cosmic horror that they probably should have went with. Yeah, like, they didn't show him... So, like, you know how we stated earlier how, like, he glides or kind of morphs and everything? They didn't really show him mm-hmm. moving. They just showed him appearing at different spots mm-hmm. and, like, behind people. So, like, you got, like, a jump scare here and there, but that was kind of about it. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. Yeah, from what you're describing, that would be very disappointing for me as well. Because yeah. he is a cosmic horror, essentially. Fully, mm-hmm. completely. He just has a suit, and that's what's different. He's got the tentacles, he's got the, like... Tendrils. Indiscernible stuff like that. He's got basically everything you need for a cosmic entity. And the scary part about this 
like them specifically is that they're so both incomprehensible and inevitable like there's no escape type thing and that's what's supposed to be scary so it's like no matter what you do he's still gaining yeah they there's certain ways you can do that where the story you read last week that had it yeah like yeah and there again there was one part that was like the story that i read last week like where you could see his tendrils entering through a door but then he just appeared and it was kind of like a letdown like again so much build up for so much disappointment Mm. it's like maybe they started out with a lot of like going into it everything was great and then just budget dropped so they had to do it that way to make it salvageable or something like you kind of wondered like it it didn't look like that big of a set or like that hard to do but if they had a decent sort of budget but um yeah, yeah if there were budget cuts it, it kind of felt like it to me at least yeah that's too bad yeah anyways sorry for that horrible movie review but again worth a watch just because they do cover quite a bit of lore but it, it was a disappointment on the scare factor for me. Mm-hmm. More of a thriller than a horror movie. Not even a thriller, sad to say. No? No, it they, it lacked that aspect, too. It was just kind of like a movie. It told a story and not really... It wasn't really thrilling because they, mm. they let you know what happened too early on, I guess. Mm. So maybe modern fantasy could be more accurate of a description if it's not even horror. Yeah, because, yeah, it, again, not really any blood, not really any gore, not really any, like, you knew what was going to happen to the characters mm-hmm. five minutes before it happened to them. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's basically as much of a horror movie as the Twilight movies because they have vampires. Uh, a little bit more than that, but... um, Not much? Not much. Mm. Yeah. So, anyways, moving on, let's get into kind of the historical aspects of Slenderman and where he could have stemmed from, from urban and, like, uh, folklore legends. So, for historical references, there are cave paintings in Brazil. This is depicted in Sur de Caparava's National Park in northeast Brazil, which these cave paintings are dated are believed to be dated back to 9,000 BC. These paintings show strangely elongated figures leading children by the hand. So if I remember right, one of our uh, binge watches for documentaries that we used to do, like, you know how uh, we got into those strange documentaries for a while, like how aliens helped build the temples and, like, all that stuff? Mm, those- I th- the ancient alien stuff on the History Channel and stuff like that. Yeah, so I feel like this falls into that realm. Hmm. Um. I mean, kinda. I I don't know specifically the cave painting you're talking about, but I mean they aren't really known for their anatomically correct drawings in caves. It could just be that they did that to make it notably discern, discernible between adult and child. That, so, that, that could also be. But also, not extremely detailed. 
No, it's not. And he doesn't have tentacles or anything like that. So it could mm. just be an elongated man. Um, and there might also mm. be similar paintings in Bulgaria. But again, not extremely detailed. Could be discerning between adult and child. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, other stuff that kind of leads to possible Slenderman sightings is Egyptian hieroglyphics back in 3100 BC in Lower Egypt with references of thieves of the gods becoming more common during Pharaoh Weisner's reign. There are pictures of, or not pictures, but hieroglyph carvings representing a thief in the god's pharaoh's tomb that looks similar to slender man so like a tall long lengthy person that might be worth looking into yeah so we kind of do dig into it a little bit more so thief of the gods what the hieroglyphs depict or mean or thief of cook cook is one of the many egyptian gods and he represents all shadows darkness and similar things like nighttime this is kind of the one of the highest correlating pieces from this whole myth because, you know, Slender Man does have these dark ten, uh, tentacle, kind of smoky mm-hmm. tentacles, so he could be one of his creatures. Mm. And uh, it gives, like, a dark aspect on things in, like, German, Romania, Scottish, Nordic, and modern mythology, too. Uh, the Thief of Cook does. So he kind of stems into other mythoses as well oh like do they have like that was something that spread from egypt to those countries in europe or are they just very similar in concept or is it like actually known that this is just an adaptation to make sense to their people so kind of the mythos between, like, cultures and everything, Egypt did become, like, this major trading hub back with, like, Alexander the Great and everything. So a lot of myths do stemmed from Egyptology into our local legends or UK lore, I guess, mm-hmm. and Germanic also, lore. I want to say also, like, again, when Carthage, their, that empire was essentially the entire northern mediterranean coast of africa and full rivals to rome and rome literally obliterated all of the empire of carthage so we are missing a lot of history from that area as well because of that yeah so what we do know i think is still from that trade explosion from when alexander the great was there but then also the Library of Alexandria kind of got destroyed. Yeah, if you were going to say burned, they found evidence against the burning and that it was just dismantled, but... Yeah, um, it's... It is... Basically, we knew for sure that it existed, and then suddenly it didn't. Yeah. With, you know, the fall of every empire, there's a fall of knowledge and everything as well, so... Again, the exact origins of certain myths are can't really truly be traced back, but we can be like correlating. Oh, this legend stems from that legend mm-hmm. way back when. It's instead of doing like a full picture, is more of a connect the dot where it looks like a certain picture based on the d- dots you've connected. It might not look exactly like it, and more 
basic and simplified, sort of like early video games using polygons instead of actual shapes. Yeah. It's just like, this is how we think this dot connects to this dot, but we know they connect. We just don't know the in-between of that shape. We just know they're connected. Yeah. So, kind of going on from there, uh, Pharaoh Weisner, who the thief of the gods slash thief of cook is depicted on his tomb was said to have a run-in with the thief of cook and so that's why he's depicted there but the only thing stating is this doesn't have a lot of facts or research kind of behind it it's just stated like oh this is stated there the princeton project which has a lot on the thief of cook fails to mention this area so that's why it may just be a plausible source and not a uh, for sure, fact source. Right, it's recorded somewhere, written down, but not confirmed by archaeologists or clues of archaeologists, but no documentation type thing. Kind of no documentation or nothing really mm. more about this kind of creature. Just like like it was a footnote. Happened. Yeah. Mm. Like it, like like it was a footnote somewhere and just not backed up. Basically, just a picture without a date, where it's just like, they were together at some point. Yeah. But I don't know when. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of moving on from Egypt into German or Germany, so there's a lot of German woodcuts that can depict this creature. So, a renowned German woodcutter, Hans Frackenberg, created at least two woodcuts featuring a character he described as Ritter, the Knight, during the mid-16th century that were discovered in Hasselberg Castle in 1883. Whilst Frackenberg was well known for his realistic depiction of human anatomy, something that was unusual among his woodcuts of the time, these pictures featured a skeletal, multi-limbed character. Historians are unsure of the exact symbolic nature of the character he depicted, with some claiming that it was a personification of the the religious wars that had raged in Europe at the time, while others say it might represent the mysterious plagues that have been believed to be the reason for a mysterious abandoning of the Hasselberg Castle in the nearby village in 1543. So, again, multi-limbed creature could have been Mm. his... Uh, interpretation of the plague gathering people or or religious kind of interpretation but kind of looks like slender man how it was it upright or you said multi-limbed it was more like a mix of man spider type thing we'll kind of get into it a little bit more i have a few more bullet points on freckenberg okay so Besides these two possibilities between the plague and a religious figure, many insist that Freckenberg was attempting to represent Der Groven, the tall man. According to legend, he was a fairy who lived in the Black Forest. Bad children who crept into the woods at night would be relentlessly chased by Der Groven, who wouldn't leave them be until he either caught them or they would or they would be forced to tell their parents of their wrongdoing. Even then, there's a chilling account from an old journal dating back from about 1702. My child, my Lars, he is gone, taken from his bed. The only thing was found was a scrap of black clothing. 
It feels like cotton, but it's softer, thicker. Lars came into my bedroom yesterday, screaming at the top of the lungs. The angel is outside. I asked him what he was talking about, and he told me nonsense fairy story about Der Groven. He said he went into the groves by our village and found one of my cows dead, hanging from a tree. I thought nothing of it at first, but now he's gone. He m we must find Lars, and my family must leave before we are killed. I am sorry, my son. I should have listened. May God forgive me. Is this real? So... There have been many mentioned accounts and stories of Der Groben. Even though the stories stay vaguely familiar and account as part of the legend, there are a few rumor woodcuts and a journal entry that specifically spark like the authenticity of this myth itself. Starting with the woodcuts, there are three specifically known woodcuts that date back to the 16th through 18th centuries in Germany. These three woodcuts are going to be pictured on our blog. And just kind of looking at them, they do kind of resemble Slenderman. They're kind of like bony figure skeletons. Um, think of like Jack Skeleton, like just with extra limbs. There's speculation that the first two pictured, which are like the skeletons and multi limbs, could possibly be photoshopped, but the third looks like an original woodcutting. Okay, I have to look at this then. Okay, one sec. I I gotta look. Looking, yeah. I'm scoping the docks. <laughs> Hang on, peeps. We're looking at the pictures. Yeah. So, and then just to, I guess, kind of date or give you an idea about a woodcut is, like a woodcut is a picture that's etched. So think it, if you think of like a stamp and how there's like indentations and everything to make a picture, this is what the woodcuts are. Like pictures that could be reprinted. Uh, so sort of like how printing press would have a bunch of letters and stuff like that. You basically would just stamp onto stuff and you could make multiples of it. Yeah. That middle one with like skeletal bug hands is creepy. Yeah, it is really creepy. I feel like I've seen like that is an artistic representation of biblical angels or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that last one. Yeah. That does seem like it would be. Slim seems bit. more real where the other ones. I don't know. It's got the not so super defined artistic work that you would find. In reality. Yeah. Where the other ones could have been like the metal plate carvings or the metal stamps. This one does mm -hmm. look like more a softer wood image. And like from those olden times, some of them, I think everybody knows like a medieval dog looks nothing like a dog. Yeah. Oh, I love the cats with the human faces from medieval times. Yeah. it. I don't understand why they just wouldn't be able to do that but also they were drawn and made by monks who didn't get out a whole lot and their whole thing was just transcribing books since the printing press wasn't made yet yeah but i would suggest like this is from arthurian legend that's somewhat connected is to look up what a questing beast is from essentially that time and read the description but keep in mind that giraffes exist <laughs> and it will like 
the pictures they drew make sense from the description if you've never seen a giraffe and a giraffe makes complete sense <laughs> while you're reading the description. Those are funny. Um, so Such a weird, weird drawing. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I just have to state with the third one that is the most realistic, it has the caption, Never Enter Its Forest in German, which I will attempt just to um, make Matt laugh because he, he did take German. Uh, Go for it. Uh, again, that's supposed to be never entered the forest. Don't know how I did, but well, we shall that see. Sounded like it was not bad. I don't know. I, I didn't read it, so I can't judge pronunciation or anything, but it sounded German to me. Yeah. So anyways, uh, we're going to kind of move on from ger- German to Roman mythology. There's oh boy, is this like ancient Roman or closer to Italian Renaissance type stuff? Um, we'll see. So there's a Romanian fairy tale which tells of a legend of a tall man, featuring this description, which may have been taken to refer to Slenderman. The tall man stood in a clearing, dressed as a nobleman all in black. Shadows lay over him, dark as cloudy night. He had many arms, all long and boneless as snakes, as all sharp as swords, and they arrived like worms on nails. He did not speak, but he made his intentions known. In this fairy tale, the tall man causes a mother to kill her husband and child before he slid from a fireplace and clenched her in the burning embrace. So, took the mother into the fireplace. Okay, so description on point. Actions not on point. Yeah. He attacked adults, but also this is the past, so maybe they still were in their teens. Maybe, uh, but. No, past is weird stuff we don't like to think about. But this was thought to have been taken from the 16th to 18th century, and it is like a very cryptic myth. Okay. And that was Romania? Uh, yep, Romanian. Okay. I think I might have said Roman at, at first. That was my bad. Oh, well, Romani, I think. No, maybe delete that part. Mm-hmm. So there's also English mythology. There is an English myth referring to the tree man whom it is said to have slim body with appendages that look like tree branches. He is only known to be seen in the woods and was used as a story that parents told their children to thwart bad behavior. There have been quite a few disappearances of children said to be linked to the tree man. So this was also around the time of like werewolves and vampires and everything. The tree man was just another thing to keep kids out of the woods. Mm. Though I feel like since Anglo-Saxon type stuff, there's a lot of influence from the Baltic areas, like Norse stuff a lot. A lot of that comes from there because the Celtic and Gaelic stuff is also Scandinavian in nature as well. So, Der Groben, did I get that right? Yes, tall man in German. I think that might also have influenced, like that might be just the English version of Der Groben. Yeah. 
Um, but anywho, whenever I think of like the waving appendages, I I just have to say this. I think of Avatar: The Last Airbender, where they're on like cactus juice, and then they're just like waving their limbs all like boneless, like and everything. When Sokka and Momo are full on just, what is that ayahuasca or something, that that's called nowadays? But yeah, it's cactus juice, and they are not seeing reality. Yeah. You now all I can think of, basically, just seeing a giant mushroom cloud of sand in the distance. It's just like, hello, giant mushroom cloud. Maybe it's friendly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they try to eat it at one point, too. (laughs) The giant mushroom cloud in the distance. Yeah, but but they can't reach it. It's too far away. I have a creepypasta to end with, if we have time. I don't know, listeners, do you think we have time? I think we might have time. So, Mm. this is written by the Redditor Mariano. It was a camping trip we had all been waiting for. Weeks of meticulous planning had ensured that we had left nothing to chance so that we could leave the city with nothing but confidence and excitement. It was a long weekend, meaning we had three nights to explore the seemingly endless expanse of beauty and nature that was Alakwin Park. Two of my friends, Jeremy and Jacob, had booked a camping site deep in the backwoods nestled right in the middle of an infinite amount of calm lakes and tall oak trees. Every variable that could have influenced the trip seemed in good shape the afternoon that we left. The weather forecast showed nothing but beaming sun and warmth. Traffic was going to be unusually low along the highway. We had packed a variety of meals and snacks. We had rested well the night previous, giving us the necessary energy to hike and portage across the trees and lakes that stood between us and our campsite. At 3 p.m., we packed our bags in Jacob's car and hit the road. There were four of us, Jeremy, Jacob, Mick, and Eli, myself. It was the middle of the summer, so we had figured we had until about 9 p.m. to get to our campsite before sundown. As we had to paddle across the lakes as well as navigate some steep inclines and rocky terrain, we simply couldn't afford to get caught in the dark. As it took about three hours to get to the main point, this left us with three hours to navigate through the backwoods to our site. In the car, the mood was jovial. We were happy to be done with work for a while and be able to kick back, drink lots of beer, and smoke lots of weed. All of this completely free from the hustle and bustle of civilization. Yo, Mike, did you remember to pack the binger? Jacob was listing off items to make sure we had everything, double-checking and triple-checking. Yeah, it's wrapped up in my camping pack. Once we get to the site and set up our stuff, I'll get it out. I was getting giddy. I'm so excited just to be on the lake to get yod and sipping brews. It's been too long. Meanwhile, Jeremy was thinking more responsibly. We just gotta be sure that we have everything set up before we start drinking or anything. Setting up the tent and tarp over the top, creating the hoist so bears don't muck with our food, and collecting a good bundle of wood to start the fire. He was right, though. The last thing we wanted was to be navigating in the dark while drunk or stoned or trying to set up our site. Mick kept the mood relaxed. Don't worry about that. We'll have time. We'll split up the responsibilities and it'll all be done pretty quickly. At this point, I could hardly contain myself. Being in the backwoods was certainly an intimidating thought, but my buddies were all experienced and I didn't have any doubt we'd been really well prepared for the mission that was about to come. I fell into a nap for the rest of the drive and woke up just before we got to the access point. When we got there, Jacob and Jeremy 
quickly got busy loading the canoes with our gear while Mick and I went to buy some extra ice for our coolers. When everything was ready to go, we launched ourselves from the beach and began paddling. The mood changed quickly as we realized what we were up against. The wind had picked up considerably, creating choppy waters, and took a lot of effort to paddle through. By the time we had reached the second portage, it was nearly sundown. I think we were all getting angsty, but it took Jacob speaking up to get us to make our decision. Okay, the sun's already starting to set. We're definitely not going to make it to our site tonight. I think we should just take the loss and set up one of the open sites here next to the lake. Jeremy was hesitant. How do we know they're not all booked? Someone could show up and kick us out, and we really don't want to have to set up twice. I decided to intervene. It could happen, but there's lots of sites on this lake. I'm with Jacob. I don't think we have a choice. We can't navigate in the dark. We all came to an agreement that we needed to find a site on the next lake, and fast. Oddly enough, we began to paddle through the next lake when we noticed that every site was empty. Being a holiday weekend, this threw us way off guard. Something seemed very ominous to me, but I let it slide. I attributed it to the lack of fellow campers to the unexpected high winds. They must have just delayed their trips until the waters had calmed down. We found a good site quickly and jumped out of our canoes. Without a word being spoken, we split up and started to prepare for the night. Mick set up the hoist that would keep our food away from any lurking animals. Jeremy went farther into the woods to chop some firewood. Jacob and I started to piece together the tent and tarp. Thirty minutes later, we were all ready to go. The hoist was prepared to save Hyo up from potential thieves. The fire was crackling with great intensity, and the tent and tarp were ready to provide the shelter for our weary bones a few hours later. With that, Jacob broke out some sausages to cook over the fire while we cracked open a pint and prepared the binger. We were a few beers deep, enjoying some good conversation when Jacob interrupted. I swear I saw something move not 50 feet into the woods. What the heck? You're just really yoed, man. And at worst, it's a deer or something. Mick was eager to settle the mood. I'm serious. Whatever it was, it was standing on two feet and was definitely not just a deer. It looked about 10 feet tall. Screw that. I'm going to check it out. I highly doubt there's anything out there. This was classic Jeremy, an expert troll. The three of us knew exactly what he wanted to do. He was going to run off to the woods, mess around just enough to get us anxious, make us try to find him, only for us to return to the campfire with him awaiting our arrival. After about 30 minutes, that's exactly what happened. I was the one who broke. I ushered Jacob and Mick to come with me. They grumbled, but eventually followed suit. Never go into the woods alone, guys. I figured the sooner we gave in to Jeremy's troll, the sooner we would be back around the campfire enjoying ourselves, if only. We grabbed the flashlights we had packed and began the hunt. It seemed so ridiculous, but deep down, it was sort of fun. After about 15 minutes, that fun had worn away into slight desperation. Guys, I don't even think Jeremy would put us through this much. Something's got to be wrong. I think he got lost. Yo, Jeremy, are you yod, bud? I yelled half-jokingly, trying not to get too scared. A few seconds after I had finished my sentence, a faint scream broke the silence. I'm not gonna lie, I was terrified. I started to tremble. We all looked at each other with grave concern before Jacob decided he had en enough. He's trolling. He has to be trolling us. He's probably laughing his ear off right now, thinking we're terrified. I'm not going to entertain it anymore. I'm gonna go back to the fire. Soon enough, he'll come back and have learned we aren't going to live with his antics anymore jacob was pretty clear about his intentions mick agreed and didn't seem too interested in looking farther 
I was so terrified that I just wanted to stay with the other guys. So we started back towards the fire, feeling slightly uneasy, but confident that Jeremy would come back in a short while. That's when I made the mistake of turning back and flashing my light into the deep, dark woods. I saw it. For a split second before it dashed right behind a tree, but it was unmistakable. Just as Jacob had described, whatever this thing was, it was freakishly tall. That, or we actually were both just yode. I was frozen. I couldn't move. I flashed the light on my arms to see nothing but goosebumps. My mind raced with every possibility, setting on the horror that Jeremy could be gone for good. Finally, I forced myself to speak up. Hold up, guys. I just saw something. I swear I'm not messing around. It was just as you described, Jacob. Tall. Really tall. What if... What if it took Jeremy? This is dumb. I think we're all just drunk and high and in need of some sleep. Jeremy is doing his thing and he'll come back soon. Like we said, he'll probably be back by the fire when we return. Mick was doing his best to keep us calm. If not for him and Jacob, I don't know whether we would have survived the night. When we got to the fire, it had already died out. But that wasn't the worst part. There was no sign of Jeremy. When I realized he was still gone, my heart sank. I was torn. One hand, I was fed up with Jeremy's trolling and just wanted to sleep it all off and forget the night ever happened. On the other, I was truly terrified of whatever Jacob and I had seen took Jeremy and murdered him in cold blood. Honestly, I was just ready to suggest getting in the canoe and never coming back. But I couldn't leave Jeremy like that, and we wouldn't be able to navigate in the dark anyway. Let's just get in the tent and try to get some rest. Jeremy has a flashlight, and he knows how to get back here. It's only been an hour. He's probably up in a tree listening to some music or something, and we'll come back after we fall asleep to freak us out. We'll laugh it off in the morning, have some breakfast, and we still got two days to explore and have a good time, so let's try and relax. Jacob had clearly calmed down a lot, and his reassurance was convincing enough to get me reluctantly to agree. On the verge of tears, I joined Mick and Jacob in the tent and decided to try to fall asleep. I don't really know how, but I managed to doze off pretty quickly. I guess the combination of fierce stress and inebriation pickled with fatigue had taken its toll on me. If only I had been able to sleep through the night. I awoke to the sounds of footsteps approaching. My heart started beating faster and faster. Trying to remain calm, my immediate thought was that it must be Jeremy, finally back. Nonetheless, I poked Jacob's arm, which proved enough to wake him. In his half-asleep state, he looked up at me. What? He grumbled. All this happened in the space of about ten seconds. And by then, the footsteps were much closer to the tent. Jacob now understood what was going on. I didn't need to explain anything. We stared at each other in abject terror as the footsteps got closer and closer and closer. I could tell we both had the same two ideas. It was either Jeremy finally coming back or we were about to be brutally murdered by the ten-foot-tall slender man. My heart was pounding as the footsteps were now coming from just outside the tent. Nice try, bud. We're still awake, Jacob said in a nervous tone. The footsteps immediately stopped. No reply. Complete silence. I thought my heart was going to explode out of my chest. Whatever lay outside right now beside our tent for a few more seconds... The most eerie silence remained, and then pandemonium. The scream of a banshee broke the calm of the night with the most blood-curdling, ear-piercing sound we ever heard. 
Mick was jolted awake by it, and the three of us looked at each other, thinking that these would be our last moments alive. The screaming was incessant. After a while, it started to shake our tent. We couldn't formulate words, nor could any of us master their courage to move an inch. We waited and waited. After what seemed like hours of shaking, finally it stopped. The screaming night didn't, but it was getting farther and farther away. To this day, I have no idea what stopped it from entering our tent, but I am eternally grateful for whatever stopped it was. After a few more minutes, the scream was reduced to a faint sound off in the distance. It remained like that throughout the rest of the night. None of us said a word to each other. We instead tried to force ourselves back to sleep, but it was to no avail. After several hours, the light of sunrise pierced through the tent. By now, the screaming had stopped. It was Mick who said the first words. Is it safe now? I think so. Let's pack up our stuff and get the hell out of this park. When we arrive back to the main entry point, we'll put in a missing persons report. As much as I wanted to hope Jeremy would be found, part of me knew I would never see him again. We didn't speak a word while packing up the canoes. It took us only ten minutes before we were ready to set off. Once in the water, I started to reflect on the events. Still, there were no other campers on the sites. That's when I saw it, squinting in my eyes, what looked like a log that was bobbing motionless in the water on the other side of the lake. As we paddled closer, it became clear that it wasn't a log. And once we were right up alongside it, I couldn't contain myself. I threw up in the water. We waited in silence for a while before we paddled back to the access point. I will never go camping again. Well then. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was their friend's body in the water. Yeah. 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 And Yoda's is, um, like, fucked up. Yeah, I haven't heard that term before. I haven't either. Um, but again, you know, we're not really that well-traveled amongst the world, so... No. Like, I kept on thinking maybe it was yoked, but that just means, like, pumped up. No, it's it's yod, Y-O-E-D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. So, they saw it. Jeremy went into the woods to find it, was gone... She saw it. Everyone made their way back to the tent. And then it basically just screamed for the entire night, shaking its tent. But never coming back inside. Uh Uh-huh. Just shaking it and then wandering off, still screaming. Yeah. Until it eventually stopped before sunset or sunrise. Sunrise, yeah. Hmm. Well, that explains why there wasn't any other campers there. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It was one of the more creepy, creepy pastas I found, though. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's mm-hmm. your worst nightmare going camping. Yeah, where there's not really an easy way to get out of that situation is just you're out there in the woods and something shows up and you have to kind of deal with it. Yeah. 
There's a good um, horror movie that's uh, in the woods. It's about the Japanese forest. Um, the one that's like the suicide forest? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, the girl that played Marjorie um, in Game of Thrones, she's the main star. She goes in and finds her sister, and it's a really good twist. That That's a good thriller movie. Hmm. Marjorie I did Tupero. hear some stuff about that. Yeah. Okay. But this kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah. Weird stuff. Yeah. So anyways, sorry to end kind of on a damper note with that story, but it's creepy. Ooh. If Hope you're spooked. Hope you guys are spooked. If you guys stick in for next time, you'll hear about the court case and... The murders that took place in Wisconsin. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. Real stuff. Yeah. Wonderful. So with that, thank you guys for listening. And again, if you guys want to check out our merch, we have stickers, sweatshirt, t-shirts, and tank tops at uh, violinvice.bigcartel.com. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E dot bigcartel.com. And... We might be getting pins soon. I got to look into pins. that. Yeah. Pins. Pins. Okay. Um, wait, wait, are you saying pens as in the writing utensils or pins as in the thing you attach to stuff? Pin, P-I-N-S, the stuff that you ah, attach to stuff. Okay. Need to make sure. Yeah. we have accents and sometimes clarity is needed. <laughs> exactly. It's like bag or bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. We yeah. can tell the difference, but not everybody can. No, not everyone can. Matthew. <laughs> um, but anyway. That's, that's what you get for growing up in Chicago. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we'll see you guys next week for episode 52 on the Slenderman court cases. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Violent Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rayback. And research done by Corinne Drybeldis. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violent Vice. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Vice, Or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, violinvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. To keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.